Welcome to the Family Room, sponsored by Versprite, where we offer hope, encouragement, and wisdom centered on biblical truth and Catholic teaching, because God's kingdom begins at home. Now welcome your hosts, Mari, John, and Craig, right here on AM 1160, The Quest, your Atlanta Catholic Radio. Welcome into the family room. I am Mari. I'm here with my co-hosts as usual, John and Craig. Hey guys, how are you doing? Hello, Mari. So, uh, so today I just have a simple question for you guys. Um, you know, we here in the family room, we like to stay real and, you know, just whatever top pops into our heads. So my simple question today. <laughs> it's a scary place to be. <laughs> <laughs> my, There's my, an echo. <laughs> oh man, I'm already getting hit. So the, the simple question, okay, ask you, John, first. You just set yourself up, yeah. Is uh, so. How are you living at the gospel message? Simple question. Yeah. yeah simple. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Nothing to it. Um, well, about a year ago, I prayed hard, hard, hard that I would find a spiritual director because I haven't had a spiritual director in a long time. Had him all through high school and formation, and I found a spiritual director. He found me. God found me. Whatever how you want to oh, say that. Cool. And so, so that's good, right? Yeah. And I said, I want to be tough. I want to be like a coach. I want him to coach me. I want a tough one. Is God answers all the prayers that you think maybe you could just, you know, kind of ease into. So I have a great spiritual director, Father Lino, with uh, one of the legionaries of Christ priests. And um, he has challenged me on three things. And so these are, this is huge for me, very difficult for me. Number one is obedience. Mm. And that includes obedience to my wife. Like we think men are like, you know, all that Ephesians. If you really read Ephesians, I have an obligation to be obedient to my wife. Yeah. And then all kinds of other obedience including him. And then the second is, and this is really hard, I am not the center of the universe. I'm just really? not. This is probably a newsflash for many people, most <laughs> importantly me, but but working on the fact that this this isn't all about you most of the time, yeah. unless something's really screwed up, then it could be about you. Um, and then the third thing is just trusting. So if you think about, that really kind of wraps it all up because it's hard to be obedient. It's hard to not be in the center unless you really trust them. So, mm. so those are the things kicking John's bottom in, wow. in the gospel and living the gospel today. And that's, cool. that's as that far on? as we can go and still put this on. Can you go a little deeper, John? No, no. <laughs> you know, and as he said, it was just at the, on the top I of have, his head. I have a lot to wait. Now it's funny because, you know, um, living the gospel is just living your life day to day. I don't know. We kind of get to, we kind of get to a position where, Life happens, and I want to push back on life happening. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we look at elections that happen, and why prayed? Why didn't my uh, candidate get voted in? Um, you've got kids. You know, as everybody knows, you know, my daughter's twenty-four. My son's going to be nineteen next week. You know, when they run into struggles, you know, whether it's health, whether it's school, whatever, you want to push back and say, you know, God, why didn't you answer my prayer the way I said? It's kind of like John said, you know, I'm the center of the universe, God, and you're my puppet. Um, so for me, it's it's been a little bit of what John said, but it's mostly embrace the cross, mm -hmm. learn to submit everything and surrender everything and start to really live the will of God in the day-to-day -day life, mm -hmm. which means whether it's a sunny day or rainy day or whether, you know, you're in traffic or no traffic, um, it's all a part of God's permissive will. Mm -hmm. In some cases, it's a part of his um, allowable will where he sends stuff our way. Mm -hmm. And just really to say, okay, Lord, you're in charge. I'm just going to keep praying i'm going to keep embracing you and i'm going to try to live joyfully in all of that and i stink at it 
How about you? Oh, so I asked the question, and I made a bad mistake by for not thinking through my response. You guys are so deep and rich today. It's crazy. Um, I think for me, you know, when I think about living out the gospel message, I think about love. But for me, a lot of times, because I love the um, all the different gifts we get, so the spiritual gifts, I'm always thinking about, okay, how am I using my spiritual gifts? God gave me different spiritual gifts. How am I using them? What am I saying yes to? How am I just offering him in whatever way I can? And for me, helping people understand how incredibly loved they are by God. And if they know they're so loved and they know they're loved so unconditionally by him, that hopefully that will lead them to have more faith and more trust to do his will in their lives. So as a wife, as a mom, loving people as much as I can. And that some days that is really hard as a friend, loving people, um, as a neighbor, loving people, loving people who I don't agree with, loving people who I don't understand. Um, but the way to love them is by just being there to support whatever need they have. So I guess for me, a lot of that living out the gospel message is loving people and then leading them closer to Christ. I remember going to a retreat many years ago and somebody told me that. They said, make a friend, be a friend to that person, and then lead them closer to Christ. And that's what I found is a lot of people, times people will start to ask me more questions about Jesus. So that's, that's for me um, one of the ways to do that. But I love learning from you guys too and also surrounding myself with people who are holier than me like you two and <laughs> oh i said it uh, on air that's uh, scary okay so speaking of holy people we yes. do have an incredible guest today we are so thankful today to have in the studio with us lisa wheeler who is um, a name that around here at the quest um, she's been here from the beginning because she was gracious enough to invite us into her space here in atlanta um, at carmel communications we've been sharing space since the beginning of the quest um, but also we've all gotten to see just the ways that God's been um, touching Lisa's life and how she's allowed him to uh, reach into her life in such beautiful ways. And so that's part of what we're going to be talking about today. So Lisa, welcome to the family room. Well, it is a delight to be here. So thank you very much for the invitation. And I'm excited about what we Maybe talking about over the next little while. <laughs> whatever the Holy Spirit says That's we're right. talking whatever, about. Right? Whatever the Holy Spirit is going to lay on our hearts to talk about. Right. So. We'll be obedient to that. Yeah. Um, so one of the things we do like to do together as we get started is to pray. So, John, would you open us in prayer? <laughs> sure. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Heavenly Father, before we have a single thought, we have thoughts of thanks and praise for you. We understand your providence. We, we understand your sovereignty. And we now, we live in a time where our nation has chosen a path much different than, than what we would anticipate and certainly much different from what we think you've given us as a way to live. And so at this time, we're grateful for friends and guests and family who build us back up and, and show us a way and show us a life that's worthy of praising you. And, and today we ask you to bless this time with Lisa and we ask you to open our hearts and her hearts, our minds and her minds, and especially the minds of our listeners that what she says and what she shares and what she has done might touch that soul, that mind, that heart in a way that you would have it touched so that they become on fire to work just on a fraction of the way that she has and that we all do a portion of your work in the simplest and most profound way that we can. We do it with your grace. We ask for your grace, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 The Father, Thanks. the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Solid again, John. Way to go. That was beautiful. So, Lisa, a lot of times, I mean, I know uh, Mari said you're 
well known around here at the Quest, and I'm sure you're well known well beyond the Quest. <laughs> but for those listeners of ours who may not um, know you, like to understand maybe how your faith was growing up in your family, what led you to a deep faith, or maybe you had it your whole life, and then kind of where you are today in that faith, how it's maybe animated you. Yeah, probably need a whole hour on that um, alone because <laughs> it is it is quite a journey. I'll try to give the Cliff Notes version of it. So I am a second-generation Italian-American Catholic, so the Catholic faith was very much a part of my childhood, a cradle Catholic. Um, but it was very much steeped in sort of the tradition of the faith. Mm -hmm. So I had a great Italian grandmother growing up that prayed the rosary, you know, all the time, um, you know, gave the example of asking for prayers of the community of saints. That was always a part of my, my early life. But I think what it lacked for me was um, and for my temperament, the understanding of the why mm -hmm. of, you know, why, you know, why do we believe this? Why do we have to um, order our life in this way? And so as a high schooler, and um, certainly after I flew the nest to go off to college, I, I, my first uh, action taken was to <laughs> not go to church <laughs> again. Um, and, uh, you know, for four years in college, in fact, I didn't find out where the Catholic church was on my college campus until my husband and I visited it, um, like 15 years later, never, never knew where the Catholic church was, um, in Tallahassee, Florida, which, uh, now has an incredible, uh, as an aside, incredible Catholic, um, college program there, uh, college campus ministry. But anyway, off track. Um, so I, I never lost my belief in God. Like I mm -hmm. always believed that there was a God, but I certainly was not ordering my life in the shadow of his goodness. You know, I, uh, and so I, I definitely got into things and, um, participated in things that were, um, less than what my worth was all about. Um, and I had a very profound awakening, I guess you could say, when I was in um, living in Washington, D.C. I, I knew that I wanted to get into communications, and um, I did a little bit of um, time after college working for ABC affiliate. I thought I wanted to be a broadcast journalist um, as my career and, you know, deviated from that for a number of reasons. But long story short... I had a profound moment with our Lord um, while I was in Washington, D.C., following some pretty, um, uh, a night of, well, let's just say not great behavior with, <laughs> um, with friends and companions. And um, I remember reflecting that evening about, you know, for some reason, you know, wondering you know, what heaven was going to be like. Mm. And I got a very profound sense that if I continued in the way that I was acting, that I wasn't going to find out. Yeah. And, uh, and that really started to kind of change something in my heart. And I ended up going back into a Catholic church in Washington, DC for the first time. Um, not that it, it changed my, my spiritual life in any way in that moment, but um, I felt a calling back 
um, from the Father, from God the Father. So I had a very this very profound uh, reconnection with God the Father. Yeah. But I knew that I had to change my life, and so that involved um, a, a lot of reflection and you know deeply sp- spiritual um, ch- meditation on where I was in my in my life at that time. So you had to put the work in. I had to put the work in. Uh, And what I ended up doing, a lot of people would say is running away Hmm. Um, because I knew that the people that I was, were were friends with the work that I was doing, the environment that I was in um, was not going to help me create that order. And so I moved uh, to the Western Pacific to a little Island called Guam. And I have not talked about this. That's where I'm from. Are you really? That's where I'm from. My goodness, did you really? (laughs) Okay, another whole show. We'll figure that (laughs) out. Yeah. So that's where I met my husband, and my husband was studying uh, discerning the priesthood, and so I met you know this man that was completely in love with the Lord and was willing to commit his life in service um, to the Lord, and we had some incredible conversations. His discernment obviously didn't lead to um, the priesthood, but led to our becoming husband and wife. Um, And it was really that meeting, that divine appointment, in a sense, that turned my life around for, you know, for the better. Since I left everything that I was doing, my career, my friends, my family, and I had to restart again, the fire that I got from rediscovering my Catholic faith led me to try to seek a way of how I could help um, other people not fall in the way that I had fallen. Mm -hmm. Um, How could we do a better job as people of faith um, in evangelization, Mm -hmm. in permeating the culture with the good news of Jesus Christ, and really showcasing how the Catholic Church sets its teaching on a foundation of virtue in order for us to get to heaven so that we can have happiness forever, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the, the quick story of, (laughs) of the journey. Um, But when I came back to the faith and knew that I had to take or, or wanted to take my talents, my experience, the things that I had learned uh, in the media and in communications I, I wanted to try to find something within the church. And so that is really how I ended up eventually starting my own communications agency that now is ordered towards uh, evangelization of the culture. So, you know, Carmel's focus is on how we can take the good that's in the culture to create dialogue, to create opportunities for people to come together to talk about uh, their faith and their life and the struggles that they have, um, where that intersection is. So one of our taglines is, you know, um, bridging between the sacred and the secular. Mm. Um, That's great. It's so, a wonderful story. It is incredible. So listeners, if you're just joining us, you're here in the family room where we're with uh, Lisa Wheeler today, and we're right here listening to the sacred and the secular <laughs> at the same time, which is wonderful. So I was just... Take, you look like you had a question. Well, I was just going to ask if it's good to take the next step, because one of the things we talked about, you know, the bridge between the sacred and the secular, and it feels like uh, this whole pro-life and versus pro-choice and mm-hmm. the laws that we just recently passed as a country are, are kind of they're very difficult to, to swallow. But I think, Lisa, you have a, you have a really broad look at pro-life, and particularly 
So we protect the baby. And then the question is now what? So this child has, has, has made it past the first choice of his or her mom that, that that child will have a life. And then there's all kinds of things that have to happen. And we frequently get dinged as pro-life folks saying, okay, great. So you let the baby come into the world and then what? Now they're part of this mess or that mess or, you know, who's walking with this mother? Who's walking with this child? But that's like kind of where your head and heart are in a big way. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So uh, I, you know, I think coming back into the church um, the way that I did and knowing some of the things that I was involved with before that reversion, uh, which one of them was that I struggled with being able to look at a woman who was in such a desperate situation in her life and not allowing her to make the choice that felt right for her. Like I, I empathized with that. I mm -hmm. understood how you could be in such a desperate place that you felt like you had no other way to go, you know? And when I came back into the church and I looked at the, how we were doing, how we were walking that journey with women, I wasn't a hundred percent convinced that beyond the saving the unborn baby that we were doing enough mm -hmm. to walk that path um, with the woman. And I think a lot of times we get stuck in this um, vernacular of language and we talk about pro-life, everything is pro-life when really we should be whole life. You know, we, we uh, certainly, it is important for us first and foremost, to do whatever we can um, to eradicate uh, the death of an unborn child. It's a travesty. It's the most egregious of all of the, the cultural falsities that are out there, the, the lies that are out there that are, you know, telling people that, that this will provide you a better life. But we also, on the flip side of that, uh, the question that we all need to be asking ourselves is, are we doing enough to journey with women when they find themselves in these unplanned pregnancies. I have kind of a unique perspective on it. You know, I am um, an adoptive mom. I've adopted five children out of the foster care system. So not only do I understand the life, you know, the, the struggle, but I have seen up close and personal the reasons why these children end up in the foster care system. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, now that we are living in a country that is post row, the post row America that mm -hmm. we prayed for for mm -hmm. so many years, uh, we have to be thinking about what that means, particularly in the states where abortion is illegal. How are we going to respond to the increase that is likely to occur um, for children um, in the foster care system. So that's kind of, that's my, among everything else I do, my ad, the advocacy of my heart, the passion of my heart is to teach Catholics, to help Catholics understand what the reality is of the foster care crisis in our country and the different ways that they can step up to respond um, in a way that fulfills our gospel, our gospel call. Um, to the, the widow and the orphan and um, the vulnerable people in our, in our midst. 
you know, listen, talking to a number of people over the last few months, and we had we had a show uh, a number of months ago with Kathy Schneider, who does a lot of work on the on the sidewalk and but way beyond the sidewalk, how she accompanies and walks with these moms. Um, she shared with us that the number one reason, as she talks to all of these different moms, the number one reason that people are choosing uh, abortion is because of financial situations that they're in. You know, a lot of times people don't have the great understanding. So one of the things that that I appreciate about what you're saying is there's so much more we need to understand about mm-hmm. the whole system, about the whole cir- all the circumstances, because we can't help solve a problem. We can't walk into a problem and help um, give whatever it is that God's calling us to give unless we truly understand what that that situation is. And I know I've started to learn a little bit more through Kathy. We've got these wonderful new apostolates in our parishes now called Walking with Moms in Need. So some of our listeners have probably heard about those as well and can give there. But, you know, this is National Adoption Awareness Month. So Mm -hmm. we would love for you to share with all of us what can we do? What do we need to understand and what can we do? Well, I think what's happening in parishes with the um, Walking with Moms program is really at the heart of what needs to be occurring. You mm-hmm. know, really, I heard a statistic one time that said if every church in America, and that's every church, not just Catholic churches, but every church in America would wrap themselves around one foster child, one, it would solve the foster care crisis in the United States. Oh wow. And, you know, that that's not an impossibility. Yeah. I mean, how is it how is it impossible for one church that's living out the gospel message mm-hmm. to wrap themselves around one child? And so I think it starts with the churches. Mm-hmm. That's that's where the focus needs to be. But in order to make that happen, the awareness needs, you know, the awareness needs to build. Mm-hmm. So the statistics are 400,000 children are in care right now in the United States. A hundred thousand of those children are legally free to be adopted. And I know there's probably people that are listening to this show today who may have struggled with infertility mm-hmm. or may be struggling with infertility like myself. 15 years, my husband and I were not able to conceive a child naturally. And when we learned just through kind of a fluke encounter about the the fact that there are children available for adoption through foster care, it completely it changed our lives. Mm. Um, you know, we started out getting into it because we wanted to be parents, but then our eyes were opened to this crisis, which is really, you know, the modern orphan crisis of our time. Mm. And our churches, and, and I'm speaking purely from a Catholic perspective. The Catholic churches are simply not doing enough Mm -hmm. to wrap themselves around either foster families, Catholic foster families who are in the trenches fostering these kids or knowing that that as a Catholic family, they could potentially be a home for a vulnerable child because there are so many homes that are needed. Yeah. You know, there's not enough homes for the children that are in care. So you have, you know, you, you hear the you hear you hear the horror stories in the news about what's happening with the foster care system that children are sleeping on in hotel rooms, that they're sleeping on the floor of Department of Children and Family Services offices. Those that's all accurate because mm. there aren't enough homes for 
these kids to be cared for. And then there's the resources that are needed in order to support the children themselves. The, 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 the things that you, you know, it doesn't take, you know, rocket science to figure out, you know, you need um, equipment, you need clothing, you need, um, you know, formula, you, you need all of the things that mm-hmm. come with parenting right. that uh, are not always readily accessible or available through local departments of children and family services. But if each parish stepped up to create a support group or support program within their churches to do one of those three things, how many children and and families could receive the kind of um, witness and help that could make an incredible difference um, mm-hmm. for these kids and these families? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've got about two minutes before we hit the break, but it's interesting because, again, you know, what brought John and I together was um, we sit in the world we live in, in the United States in particular, and we all have a lot of prosperity, and we're more concerned about, you know, are, am I going to get my latte right today, or am I going to get, you know, whatever? And I think what you've done for me anyway is, as we talk about living out the faith and being animated by Christ, to be Christ in the world, mm-hmm. to really pay attention to those things. Because again, I don't think about the foster kids. Because to your point, keep hearing about, you know, the abortion issue, which is awesome. We keep hearing about the divorce issue, which is awesome. You don't want to focus on those things. But there's real life things, circumstances that we could enter into, and be the catalyst at our parish or on a on a local level, to really bring Christ and walk hand in hand with people. So they can see the beauty of the church, because I think the church has looked ugly to a lot of people lately. And I think there's a beauty that's, again, being uncovered. And I think it's a beautiful way that you are living your faith that I think we can mm-hmm. animate our own lives in the church. That's great. Yeah, so um, when we come back from our break, we're going to be talking to Lisa a little bit more about um, things that we can do and um, also hearing maybe more about your story and uh, just how that moved from fostering to adoption, which is beautiful. I know that I personally have a friend who has fostered, helped foster a number of children in a simple way, even though I can't, I didn't have the bandwidth to foster, but I became an emergency caregiver. Mm-hmm. So that's just another way you can step in and help support families who are 100%. yeah, fostering other kids. So I was the emergency caregiver, so she would have some respite respite care as well. So there are different ways that, Lisa, we're excited for you to be able to share with us um, things that ways that we can get involved and we can support. Yeah. yeah. So listeners, please stay tuned. We will be back in just a minute. We'll be right back inside the family room in moments. Sponsored by Versprite on The Quest. In today's world, cybersecurity is critical for your business. Award-winning Versprite provides solutions to protect your company from hackers. For protection now, see Versprite.com. That's V-E-R-Sprite.com. The Quest thanks Versprite for their support. The Quest presents Pro-Life Minutes. Healthcare providers should care about health, right? Why then has Planned Parenthood's actual women's healthcare services dropped over 72% in the last 10 years? Abortion is not healthcare. Abortion kills. Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion provider in the United States with 700 abortion facilities. And in the 2019 fiscal year, they ended 345,672 innocent American lives. This is an increase of 13,000 in the last year and 25,000 over the last two years. 
To put that in context, that is about half the population of Washington, D.C. Why then does the United States government continue to send the millions of taxpayer dollars in funding and grants year after year? If we don't stop them, no one will. Let's love God by loving life. Show the world that every life matters by speaking up for life at every opportunity. For more homegrown wisdom, visit thequestatlanta.com. Here at The Quest, we often hear how our programs touch hearts and change lives. Now more than ever, people need to hear the truth and beauty of the Catholic faith. As a 100% listener-supported station, The Quest relies on monthly donations to stay on the air. Please consider making a monthly donation to The Quest and help us continue to provide inspiring Catholic programming. Monthly donors are the lifeblood of the station. Visit thequestatlanta.com to donate. Thank you for your support. Hi, this is AJ with The Quest. Did you know that we are on a mission to invite, inform, and inspire listeners like you? We want you to embrace your journey and take one step closer to God by not only listening, but engaging with us. In fact, we could use your help with making this vision a reality. I ask you to prayerfully consider joining us as a missionary to help with volunteer tasks at our studio in Roswell, Georgia. If you feel called to help and would like to learn more, please send us an email at info at thequestatlanta.com. Does your parish, charitable organization, or ministry have an upcoming event that you'd like to promote? Advertise it on AM 1160, the Quest Community Calendar. It's easy and there's never a fee. Just visit thequestatlanta.com, click on events, and submit your activity or event. Enhance the success of your community outreach event. Take advantage of the Quest Atlanta's complimentary community calendar and gain more exposure to the Metro Faith community. Submit your event at thequestatlanta.com today. St. Joseph was a man of few words. In fact, not a single word of his was recorded in Scripture. But the Father of Jesus spoke abundantly in his silence, and he certainly gave us a lot to talk about. Want to go deeper? Listen to the St. Joseph series on your Quest app and on thequestatlanta.com. Welcome back to The Family Room with Mari, John, and Craig, sponsored by Versprite on AM 1160 The Quest. We're speaking with our friend, now our friend, but our guest today, Lisa Wheeler, and we're talking about uh, a lot of different things. And so what we'd like to do, Lisa, we shared with you that all of our guests share with us their favorite family room memory. So if you're going to tell us your favorite family room memory, what would you say that is? Well, I think that it's not quite the family room, uh, but I had kind of a tumultuous childhood. Um, but the one constant that was in my my family life was meals. Mm. We always ate meals together as a family, uh, no matter what you know sort of chaos was happening. <laughs> it always managed to happen around meals. So meals have always been very important. Like maybe an Italian. I was going to say you're Italian. That's cultural. <laughs> and so that has been very important in establishing in our home with my husband and myself. Um, in fact, just before I recently moved to Texas and just before our move to Texas, I had a table handmade for the purpose of making sure that my children know that we will always have meals together. Mm. There, there, there's not a sport. There's not an after school activity. Nothing takes precedence over the family meal. And that's where, you know, we talk about our day. We talk about the joys cool. and the struggles of our life. Um, I, I hope that that's going to be where the memories that they take from our family out is, is that family meal around the table. So. 
That's great. That's great. Yeah. Um, So before the break, you were also talking to us about awareness of fostering and adoption and how you and your husband didn't even realize after 15 years of of infertility, you you became aware suddenly that this was even an option, that you didn't really know much about adoption through foster care. Um, So would you share a bit of your story about fostering and adoption? Yeah, sure. So I had had a little bit of exposure to okay. foster care when I was in college. Okay. Um, I was a bleeding heart um, for a number of years until my eyes were opened. I'm still a bleeding heart, but I'm a bleeding heart in a morally responsible way. And so when I was in college, I, I volunteered for something in Florida that's called CASA, Court Appointed yeah. Sport Ad, um, Court Appointed special advocate for children. In Florida, they're not lawyers. Here in Georgia, they're attorneys. But in in Florida, they're they're you know volunteers that walk alongside the children that are in foster care to help them have a voice for them as they they go through what they're going through in foster care. So I you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, I had that experience, but I had sort of filed it away in the back of my mind. I hadn't really thought about it. And then as Tim and I went um, through our story of infertility, and I know women and men as couples going through infertility struggles that may be listening here know this experience, we looked at a variety of different options. And a lot of them had to do with adoption, um, private adoption. My husband never really felt right about private adoption. There was something about the process, the fees, the many aspects of it that just didn't in his spirit feel good. Mm-hmm. And so when we were sort of at the point of giving up that you know our future just was not going to include children of our own, it was actually in a church, mm-hmm. local church here in Atlanta, in which someone read a pulpit announcement advertising an information session with the local Department of Children and Family Services for specifically adoption, not not foster care, but adoption through foster care. And my husband turned to me and he's like, let's go see what that's all about. And my husband is a servant, has a servant heart. He is all about acts of service. And so when we went through the information session, this was something that he turned to me and said, this, I could wrap myself around this idea of building our family through helping you mm. know, these kids. So that's how it began. I'm older. Uh, I, this end of my fertility journey, I guess you could say, uh, ended right around right before I turned 40. And so that's when we went through the process of information sessions on foster care and adoption. And so we just really thought if we were blessed enough to adopt one child, then that would be our story. And we were quite happy with that. But once our daughter came to us and we journeyed with her through the system for two years. So she was with us for two years before her adoption was actually finalized and we saw what was happening in just our county. Now, I'm not talking even around the country, but just our county with regards to children who were waiting for permanent placements and families. Um, We knew that we couldn't stop with Mm. Elizabeth. And so we opened our home. And from that point on, we 
fostered uh, over 20 children mm. uh, over the course of a decade, 10 years of foster fostering, and we've adopted uh, five um, from the system. Other children that, that were part of our lives for a short time either went on to uh, live with relatives and be cared for with relatives, which is another very good way to mm -hmm. restore families and keep that family of origin bond. And others were able to have successful reunifications and restoration of the family. So um, that's, that's kind of how we initially got involved. And now, of course, um, we're advocates, national advocates for uh, foster care and adoption to bring awareness um, to the crisis, not just in the country of foster care and adoption, but also specifically to the church and to the Catholic Church, so that you know, every church in the United States knows and understands that every child deserves a family and that uh, this is much of a gospel call uh, as any other, mm -hmm. you know, act of service that we do. Yeah. Lisa, what doubts did you have when you and Tim made the first move to say, OK, we're going to listen to this foster thing? What doubts came? I think we were like a lot of people in that we were afraid of what sort of baggage, if I could use that term, mm -hmm. although I hate the term, but I'll use understand it because it. it's it. I think people will understand what I mean when I mm -hmm. say that, you know, what sort of baggage comes with getting involved in the life of a child that comes from a somewhat disordered or broken right. beginning. Um, and, you know, the the. The reality is that, yes, you know, you're dealing with a child that's experienced a significant loss. The break of a parental bond is a wound mm -hmm. that is like no other wound. But one of the things that we've learned in the journey is that the love that can be shared with those children is an experience of love that a lot of times I feel quite possibly is the strongest mirroring of the love that Christ has for mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. And it's just been an incredible aware awakening for us um, in being able to love, you know, these kids in the way that, that we've been gifted with, with loving them. Um, a parenting is hard, no matter how you become a parent, mm -hmm. um, parenting children who've experienced trauma has its own, you know, set of challenges. But at the end of the day, all these children really want um, is to know that they are, that they are loved and that they deserve to be part of a family, which they do. So it's interesting because the, a lot of the conversation around faith these days, whether it's evangelization, whether it's transgender issues, quite honestly, um, I was talking to somebody, they were talking about how we have a lot of dialogue around the issues mm -hmm. And we lose sight of those that are in the issue, meaning, you know, we can talk about adopting or we can talk about um, foster care, but we don't oftentimes personalize, as you just did for me, the kids that are in those situations. Mm -hmm. You know, the brokenness. We're all broken. You know, we're all broken. We're all called by God to be loved. And we don't know how. We're not worthy of being loved. But what you what your reminder of to me is, it's just getting involved again, getting involved with people on an individual level and living out the faith as Christ did, right? He was a personification of God 
incarnate by touching people, by loving them, by listening to their story, by, you know, letting them know how loved they are. And it's, uh, you know, Mari, your comment when we first started the show was, I'm learning more about love. Mm -hmm. I'm learning more how to truly love. Mm -hmm. And really, that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in adopting these children, what are the blessings that you've encountered in your life because of doing this? Well, that's a great question. Um, I think one of the things that that's really, for me personally, from a spiritual standpoint, people would describe it as a type A temperament um, or a choleric temperament. If you know the, the temperaments, <laughs> that's, you know, that's my temperament. So, you know, pride is a big constant struggle in different ways. So pivoting, you know, towards humility as often as I can exercising humility is, is something that as a woman without children is not something that I, I, I didn't have as many opportunities to experience humility um, without well, that's kids. the nicest way I've ever heard that said. Without, without kids as I've had with kids. And, you know, with some of the, the challenges that my kids have, uh, those opportunities are more frequent than, you know, than probably a typical family. But the reward of my kids surviving the challenges that they have, like... The, the the incremental successes that they achieve in in getting over some of the obstacles and the and the challenges that they have in life that life has dealt them yep. the the reward of that it's almost undescribable I, I compare it most to one of the scenes from how the Grinch stole Christmas in which when you know he finally had his epiphany and his illumination he talked about how his heart I grew agree. three times yeah. <laughs> um, every time every time my kids m progress in a, in a certain achievement that helps them to conquer a challenge that yeah. they have i feel that like by three times mm -hmm. not just because i'm their parent because i you know i love them as their mother but because i see in their own reflection that they have survived something mm. um, that's really significant. And so it's um, it's just really beautiful to watch them make choices that pivot them towards something that's And they're not that's held, good. By, held down by their past that, yeah. by God's grace, they can look at the future with a lot of hope. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, and, and really seeing the, the other thing too, I would say that, is an unexpected joy is seeing how their faith has mm. developed and, and seeing the, the love that they, that every day grows with learning about Mary or the saints or, or some, um, you know, teaching of, of Jesus or the church that really clicks for them and makes sense. And they apply it in their life in some way, you know, even my little ones, you know, they'll say something and it really will kind of set me on my heels. And I'll be like, you know, this is one of the things that I prayed for as a, uh, and when I was going through my period of infertility is I just, I just prayed to God. I said, if you would bless me with children, my promise to you is that I would te I will teach them um, to know you and love you mm -hmm. and, and serve you. And so seeing that, 
come to reality yeah. has it's it's a, it's a gratefulness because I feel like I'm fulfilling my promise, you know, mm. that I made. Well, it's um, interesting because when you talked earlier about your faith and saying the rosary, but it wasn't animated in a certain way. And what you've done really is you've loved like Christ, which now makes their faith very real. So what they're learning in their faith, why we say the prayers of saints and everything, it's in their heart. It's not just in their head because they've been loved beyond what probably most people love, you know, whether it's your own kids or whether it's, you know, whatever. Yeah. They really feel the love of Christ, which then makes their faith real, right? I can believe this story. Right. That's awesome. And we pick out, I mean, the, the saints are a big, it, talking about how things become full circle. You know, I said that I had a very strong, you know, childhood with a grandmother that, you know, loved the saints, prayed to the saints. And that was something that I held on through, even through my time away from the church. But it really came back as a fire in my belly when I when I came back to the church about yeah. the saints. And I've, I've we've definitely passed that on to our kids. We talk about the saints all the time. Um, my three youngest boys, they were in care for me for the longest period of, of time, five years before we were able to adopt them. And when we first get our kids, when they come to us through foster care, we give them a patron saint. Hmm. And then that saint we ask to intercede for them through their you know, through their journey. And my three boys, they came to us as a, my three youngest, they came to us as a sibling group. And so we named them after the archangels. So <laughs> they were, you know, wow. uh, each of them, and for different reasons, we gave them the different archangels. And um, wouldn't you know, you know, this is how God winks at us. Their adoption day, five years later, which we don't choose, was September 29th. The Feast of the Archangels. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And each of them, their their archangel has become a reflection of who they are. So like my my son who has Raphael, you know, he embraces the fact that Raphael is a healer mm. that. And so with some of the struggles that he's had, he'll say, Mom, I prayed for I prayed to St. Raphael that he'll that he'll heal me of, you know, of this and um, and you know, my son that has St. Michael, you know, he's a defender. He defends his brothers. And so it's just appropriate. And then my littlest one, um, who we actually got to name, he was the one that we got to, you know, name fully, John Joseph. Um, he is Gabriel. And um, and uh, so they're, they're, the, the journey of all my children is just, it, it's it's so woven, um, you know, in the the, the sacramental and, and scriptural story. It's just really beautiful to be able to do that. And you think about if these kids had had the natural, you know, evolution of their lives, um, you know, would they have had the faith that they're sure. being exposed to? So that's, that's a consolation mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. that we're able to, in a way, evangelize through our family. Yeah. You know, as well. And God loved each of your five children and knew them before they were ever born. And he knew the path that they would have. And he knew they would eventually be in your home and yeah. that you would have special gifts to share with them. So that's so beautiful. Handed from your grandmother, right? Yeah. He already knew that. I think about her a lot. I think about, you know, my pray, as, you know, I think I said, hope you're uh, still praying for these, <laughs> these, these guys here. She never got to meet them, but... 
Well, and yeah. I think that's encouraging. We have a lot of grandmothers who listen to our show. Yeah. And I think it's really encouraging yeah. for grandmothers to know just what an amazing example, what an amazing 100%. impact that they can have for generations to come. You know, as we've been talking about foster and adoption, it keeps coming back to me that that's what God does, right? I mean, we are we are called his adopted children. Mm-hmm. He adopted us in. Um, so all of us are adopted. Every one of us has been adopted. And yet these children... Um, there's just a special opportunity for all of us out there to think through, you know, what is God calling us to do? Can we can we learn more about fostering? Can we learn more about becoming the respite caregiver for foster families? Can we can we do what you and your husband did, what you and Tim did as far as adoption through fostering? Can you talk to us a little bit more about those those levels and the things that we need to get to come to know more about and what we can do as parish communities, or if you've got any sway with the archdiocese, you know, archdiocese community or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I believe that the first step is really just becoming aware. So, you know, what the fact that you're talking about this topic today, I don't think there's a lot of radio programs, Catholic radio shows out there that are talking about foster care and adoption Mm -hmm. um, in a, in a Catholic context. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to be, and I think, um, it only takes one person to start something beautiful in their parish. Um, you know, Mother Teresa, when she was, um, you know, questioned, I guess, about the the kind of work that she did and the great impact that that she had, and people wanted to give her lots of accolades. You know, she would she said, you know, I'm just a pencil mm-hmm. um, in the hand of God who writes love letters to the world. And that's really what one person's impact can be in a parish community. And the different things that can be done is obviously the first and greatest need are more foster families. So if there are, you know, families out there that are considering adoption, you know, I would just challenge them to, you know, seek out their local uh, foster and adoption association or the local department of children and family services find out about an information session so you can find out about foster care and adoption that's number one and mm-hmm. you also mentioned there's a new apostolate out there there is a there is a new ap- apostolate um that has just started they actually held their first weekend of information it's called springs of hope uh, springs, springs of, of love. springsoflove.org yeah. <laughs> thanks for reminding me yeah. um yes the woman that started this is fantastic i think she's really on the path to um increasing that awareness that we're talking about and, mm-hmm. and helping people to equip themselves with the tools that they need to, you know, help in the foster care and adoption. And we'll make sure to put the springsoflove.org link in our show notes. Yes, yes. Uh, Definitely check out the website. She's doing something extraordinary. Um, Secondly, uh, it is um, having the parish itself, you know, wrap themselves around the foster families that are already in the community, finding out who are the foster and adoptive families. I, I think parishes would be surprised by how many uh, foster families they may actually have within Mm -hmm. their parish community. Uh, How can you be of service to a family that's fostering um, or a foster child in the area? Could you be a mentor? Could you offer respite? Mm -hmm. Could you put together um, some sort of drive at the parish level for Christmas or for diapers or formula? You know, how can this part of being whole life become 
an extension of the work that a parish is doing on behalf of walking with mothers that are in need, defending the unborn, uh, you know, just being an advocate overall for for families. I mean, really, I think we were just talking on the break about when I say 400,000 children are, you know, in care, well, these are 400,000 adults um, that are going to be part of our society in, you know, five to 10 years. Can you also mention, though, I mean, I think it's important, we missed one component of it. How many of these kids, when they're not dealt with, and I mean that in a loving way, they're not supported, how many of them become homeless? The number two, the second largest homeless population in the country are children who have aged out of the foster care system. So next to veterans, you know, veterans being the number one population, single population within the homeless community, second largest is children who have aged out of the foster care system. Because once you reach the age of 18, in most cases, without being enrolled in college having some sort of vocational school or something like that, most departments of children and family services release you from the program without any resources, without a gift card. (laughs) Um, And then those children are left if they don't have family members or friends that they can stay with, they're left on their own. So once again, that's another group of this population that we can be willing to help support and to knowing that you don't have to just foster a newborn. You can foster a 16-year-old and make an impact on their lives. Sure, or, as a mentor. Or you can help support. Lisa, we have appreciated so much your heart, yes. your journey, your yes. story, your encouragement. Thank you. Um, your, your admonition for all of us to get out there and love on these people, these children, these young adults in all the ways that we can. And one of the things we invite our guests to do, if you would be willing to, is to close us in prayer. for. Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of our lives and the gift of each other. And we thank you for the way that you have adopted us as sons and daughters of you. And we just pray today during this month of awareness of children that are in the foster care system who are looking and seeking to have that forever family. Lord, we just ask for your blessing on them and on their hearts, um, that you keep them safe and bring them peace and that you guide them into the perfect home that has been set aside for them. And we ask our Blessed Mother to um, pray with us and intercede with us as we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, pray pray for for us sinners sinners now and and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. Mary, seat of wisdom, pray Pray for for us. us. Father, Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lisa Wheeler. Thank you, listeners, for joining us here in the Family Room, where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families. Thanks for hanging out with us in the Family Room, sponsored by Versprite. For more info, go to thequestatlanta.com.